0: Welcome to the not old better show i'm paul vogelsang and this episode is brought to you by feels today's episode is part of our science makes us safer series and our guest today is dr gene kritsky we're talking about the 17-year periodical cicadas dr gene kritsky is the dean of behavioral and natural sciences and is a professor in the department of biology at mount saint joseph university additionally dr gene Kritsky is an entomologist and has authored or edited 10 books and over 250 papers on subjects as diverse as entomology, Egyptology, evolution, history of science, dinosaur biology, insect poetry, and insect mythology. This is going to be a great interview. And Dr. Kritsky's most recent book, The Periodical Cicadas, The Brood X Edition, was published in 2021. And now, Dr. Kritsky and his Mount St. Joseph IT team have introduced a fantastic new app to track the cicada for citizen science research. The app is called Cicada Safari. At this very instant, in our backyards and forests all across the eastern United States, one of nature's greatest spectacles is underway. Every 17 years, millions of cicadas, billions even, rise from the soil of the eastern United States to fly, mate, and fill the air with their noisy song. Although it may lack the epic majesty of the wildebeest migration in the Serengeti or the serene beauty of cherry blossom season in Japan, this event is no less awe-inspiring. I'm talking about the emergence of the Brood X cicadas. Be aware as you're mowing your lawn outside on a hike, listening to the trees rustle, and please use the Cicada Safari app to help with the tracking and mapping of these amazing insects. But be aware, they're out there. We'll talk about the X Cicada, the new Cicada Safari app, Cicada Sounds, which you can hear now in the background, and all things Cicada with Dr. Gene Kritsky. Please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better show, Science Makes Us Safer series via internet phone, Dr. Gene Kritsky. Dr. Gene Kritsky, welcome to the program.
1: Glad to be here.
0: It's good to talk to you. This is a special time of year, of course. Um, I remember back in 2004, many of my audience will, it's 17 years ago, the cicadas, the periodical cicadas are uh, going to be upon us here very, very shortly in uh, northern Virginia. And I wonder if you could, as an entomologist, tell us about the billions of cicadas that we're going to see maybe a little bit about their survival instincts and what the strategy is that they what what is it that cicadas bring to our environment what what uh, and and maybe tell us how many broods are
1: there well that's a number of questions there but we'll start yeah. <laughs> let's start with the last question then move on from there there are 15 broods of periodical cicadas 12 17 year broods and three 13 year broods and by a brood, we're talking about a year class, and this is all an arbitrary of, uh, designation that started back in the 1890s. In 1893, Charles Marlot decided to bring some order to the world of periodical cicadas. By that time, we had two different brood systems, and we had another system based on emergence year, and it was really confusing. And they had these charts that would tell you which was which, <laughs> and it just made it just made it very difficult. And so uh, he he basically said, let's, let's agree on something, that every 17-year cicada that comes out in 1893, that's brood 1. Every 17-year cicada brood that comes out in 1894, that's brood 2. And numbers 1 through 17 are reserved for 17-year cicadas. And for every 13-year cicada coming out in 1893, that's brood 18. And 18 through 30 are for 13-year cicadas. So just by saying brood 10, we know that it's a 17-year cicada. And once we did that, once then it became really clear and easy to see the progression from emergency year to emergency year, to see what was happening, where the, uh, where they all were. And then that, that made, uh, that was in the 1883. And then in 1902 was the concerted effort by the USDA to map out Brood 10 by sending out 15,000 postcards to postmasters, uh, superintendents of schools, railway station conductors, and they got. Just shy of a thousand responses. Wow! And that's that. That's what generated the map that we have for Brood Ten, and that's what we're coming out th- this year. So the map indicates their location. Yes, and they based the, they they were able to get data, and they included in their database that we have uh, not only what occurred in 1902, but also all the Brood Ten years going back to 1715, which is the first historical record of Brood of Brood Ten. And so uh, that was a nice compendium. In fact, uh, uh, the uh, my book *Periodical Cicadas: The routine Edition*. I I include all the USDA data in there. Now, some of that's they're probably gone for some of those counties, and they're probably not so, some of the counties that aren't represented there. But that's the whole point of this year, and that is with cicada Safari, we can fill in all those gaps and take out the bad data and what have you, if we have enough people helping people are
0: excited about the cicadas i mean even back as far as 1902 with a mailing from the usda i guess people just get kind of excited about this whole thing
1: they do and part of the reason for brood 10 is that brood 10 occurs in uh, uh now i know we now know 15 states in the district of columbia we just had some uh, uh cicadas emerge from south carolina uh for a brood 10 year that's a, that's a, a new one for us uh, but it also includes many metropolitan areas philadelphia washington baltimore and cincinnati Four of the largest cities in the eastern U.S. in the late 19th century, and those places had had uh, uh, scientists. They had people that were watching this. They were they were uh, uh, recording things, and so uh, it uh, it was quite a you know. It, it, that's a, the cornerstone of almost all this early stuff we know about cicada biology comes from Brood 10 because of where it was emerging. That's why that's why it gets all the attention today. Why do
0: cicadas do what they do? What is it behind their kind of process that I mean captures our attention? And what does it matter to them?
1: Well, I don't think it matters <laughs> at all to them per se, but uh, <laughs> but uh, we get a kick out of it. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, cicada, periodical cicadas are bugs of history. They're a generational event. If you've experienced this as a little kid, you'll never forget it. Uh, if you uh, once you experience as a little kid and you see it again the next time, seventeen years later. You, know, you could be you could be seven now. You'd be 24 then, and you're usually disappointed because it doesn't seem to be as big of a thing. The cicadas don't seem to be as big. Well, it's not that the cicadas got any smaller or the numbers got fewer. You got bigger, <laughs> and so your frame of reference, your yardstick changed. And uh, but uh, I've had uh, I've had parents tell me stories about uh, uh, incidents that occurred in 1936, and then. Seventeen years later, they're taught. They'll tell you to their kids, and then seventeen years later, they're telling it to their grandkids, and now they've got great grandkids, and they're they're, require- they're sort of relating these stories. And I know that the uh, these people that told me that story that because I've heard about it in 1987. I'm pretty certain she made the the woman that relayed this one incident to me. I'm pretty sure she's gone, but I'll 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 bet dollars to donuts that uh, when that when the cicadas come out. Her great-grandchildren are going to be telling stories about what the great-grandma did in 1936 because she had the good sense to tell me, and I've recorded it now, and, and they hear it all the time. But I'm sure they remember it as well as a family event. They'll never forget that.
0: Hi, it's Paul, and we'll be right back with our Cicada Safari and guest, Dr. Gene Kritsky. So stay tuned to hear more about the 17-year periodical cicadas. Before returning to our guest today, I want to share a great offer for our Not old, Better Show audience from sponsor Fields. off. That's quite an offer. Listen to this. If you experience sleeplessness, chronic pain, or anxiety, trust me, you are not alone. Here in our household with Gretchen teaching adult ballet classes and me working hard on my podcast, there's lots of stress and lots of sleepless nights. We looked and looked for good, well-intentioned, and accurately dosed solutions and have settled on CBD oil as the best way to help us. It's been great for Gretchen's sore ankles, knees, and back after a grueling week of teaching dance. For me, after my workouts and exercises, I needed something to help with the stiffness, too. And feels CBD oil has really met our needs. If you look into the health benefits from CBD oil, you'll find as we did that you're really getting so many improved health-related improvements to mobility, anxiety, and stress. CBD makes you feel better naturally as it regulates your cannabinoid system, and it's not addictive. It's not a crutch. It just helps your body function better when it comes to pain, stress, sleeplessness, and anxiety. We take it daily by placing a few drops of feels CBD oil under our tongue, and we feel the difference within minutes. With the effects being profound, Gretchen's teaching multiple classes daily, and her hips and back are sore. Feels CBD oil helps her rest, recover, and bounce back fully. Also, letting her sleep pain-free. It's been a wonderful way for her to feel better naturally. I've decided to partner with Feels CBD Oil for sponsoring the podcast, as I've been careful in evaluating each potential CBD brand, and Feels offers the best dosage mechanism with specific doses built right into the dropper and easy to follow instructions so many brands approach me and I just felt especially after gretchens real world success that feels met all my criteria feels is full spectrum organic tested for purity and it actually makes Feel better with full benefits after we use it. It's important to remember that CBD oil works differently for everyone based on your own cannabinoid system, and you'll want to try and experiment to reach the results you're after. Feels offers a free CBD hotline to help guide your personal experience so that you find your perfect dose. Now, the Not Old Better Show audience can join the Feels community to get Feels delivered to your door every month. Feels' monthly membership makes your self-care easy. You'll save money on every order and you can pause or cancel at any time. Become a member and get 50% off your first order. Here's how. Start feeling better with feels. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash not old better and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's feels. F-E-A-L-S Dot com slash not old better to become a member and get 50% off automatically taken off of your first order with free shipping com slash not old better. All of this is going to be in our show notes today, but definitely try it out for a month. See how it works by using our code. See the differences immediately with feels that's F E A L S. And you'll find out more in our show notes today. And now back to our interview with Cicada Safari developer and cicada expert, Dr. Gene Kritsky. We're going to hear Gene Kritsky talk more about the 17-year periodical cicadas. Dr. Gene Kritsky, well, I read in some of your research that over 250 cicadas can be tracked almost per yard. So maybe tell us some other fun facts about cicadas.
1: Oh, okay, the, the largest density of cicadas I've ever found was uh, 356 per square yard. Okay. That's a lot of bugs. And these, yeah. aren't little, these aren't little bugs, as you know, Paul. These are, the large species is just shy of two inches. That's a big bug, and the little species is about an inch and a half. So they're they're there. Uh, that's kind of interesting. Uh, the loudest we've measured, uh, that I've measured, uh, periodical cicada chorusing is 96 decibels, and that happened to be at a, at a cemetery that's on the fly pad, the the flyway into Cincinnati International Airport, and the jets are coming in at 80. And uh, the cicadas were louder. were louder than the jets. That 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 blew me away. In fact, they're so loud that in 1902, when Theodore Roosevelt gave uh, President Theodore Roosevelt gave an address at Arlington National Cemetery, and uh, uh, Theodore, I'm from North Dakota, and that's part of the reason why Theodore Roosevelt's a hero of mine. After his wife and mother died within a 24 hour period, to console his grief, he bought an interest in a cattle ranch and went out to Western North Dakota where herding cattle, he learned to project his voice. You know, he boxed at Harvard. And so he, you know, barrel chest. He learned to project his voice over a herd of cattle. People here in in Indianapolis and in Cincinnati have recounted how, when he, he spoke at some of these gatherings, like in our fountain square, Memorial square, uh, they felt like he was talking to them because he could project so well without amplification, artificial amplification, which they didn't have at that time. yet. In 1902, in Arlington Cemetery, the cicadas almost drowned him out. Wow. (laughs) That's how loud they can be. You know, if they can drown out a a politician, (laughs) they must be (laughs) able to do something. That's saying
0: something, definitely. So we're going to be seeing them. And if you're out mowing your lawn, you're definitely going to be seeing them and experiencing. But we will be hearing them. They, They are loud. What is it that the noise represents to other cicadas?
1: Well, they get, the males gather in coursing centers. Uh, ecologically, we would call it a lek, an L, it's spelled L-E-K, where large aggregations of males occur and the females move into the, the population and, and mated and so on. Uh, they gather in these trees and they start singing. And other males will hear that singing. They'll go to the same tree. So I have probably a couple, two, three thousand of these things in a single tree, all singing. And the, the 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 intensity, the loudness gets really high, and then it drops a little bit. Then it gets high again. It drops a little bit, and that's of course attracting females. Females are flying in and, and when the temp, when the intensity, the loudness drops. It's because the unsuccessful males have decided that the tree across the way may be a better bet.
0: <laughs>
1: and if you hear this, which you will in, in in your neck of the woods, you can watch watch the trees. And as that, as the loudness drops of it, look what's happening. You'll see all these cicadas flying to an either a new branch or a new tree or whatever, because it may be, be may have better luck over there. And so, uh, that's, that's what's going on. It's all part of that mating process. And the mating ritual uh, is incredible. There's a, a wonderful response. The male has a call. I'll talk about the large species, Decim. It's like a, <whistles> and at that down point, the female can't call. She doesn't have the timbre. She has no sound making apparatus like the male does. Instead, she responds by flicking her wings. So it's all part of the mating process. Uh, The females don't have a sound-making structure like the males do. Instead, they respond by flicking their wings. So the male will make his call, and I'll clap when the wing flick should occur. If he hears that, he turns and walks towards her. He sings again. Gets even closer still. When he gets close enough, he'll go into a second call, and then by, walks up to her, taps her on the back, with one, one of his two forelegs, and begins the process of physical mating. What's kind of interesting is the competition with other males. If there's a second male nearby and he hear that female flick, he'll start singing just before that downer note comes in the first male. And That interrupts it so the female doesn't flick for his wings, he flicks for male number two. She flicks for male number two, and that so there's all sorts of competition with someone uh moving in on their date, so to speak. <laughs> and so, so the up and down of the tone is what creates this din, yes, and it's constant. If you uh-huh. hear it, uh, yeah, there's, there's three call, uh, there's three species that will be emerging simultaneously, and they each have their own call, and so, uh at the top register, you'll hear almost this, this constant, constant, almost like a flute like call or hollow call. Uh, and that's, to me, it sounds like what a Foley artist would have used in a 1950s B science fiction movie for the flying saucers. I mean, <laughs> I can, yeah, you get that.
0: I'm, I'm seeing, I got it, absolutely. <laughs> so for the
1: younger viewers, you've got to go out and experience the unknown I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, that's <laughs> Majesticated Sept and Decim that's making that, that call. Majesticated Cast and I. Uh, it's a series of buzzes and clicks individually, but as a group, it's a shh. So you'll hear that, that high pitched sort of constant sound at the top, and you'll hear the cast in between. And then the rarest of the three, which is Decula. Uh, Septidecula sounds like a, a rotary sprinkler head on its own. And that, they probably account for only 5 to 10% of the population. So you'll usually hear those two, and then you might be able to hear the pulses of uh, Decula once in a while as well if they happen to be in, in that area.
0: Well, Dr. Kritzky it may be uh, anathema to an entomologist, but you could eat cicadas too. And so I wonder maybe you have a favorite recipe that you might be you know, uh, enjoying of, with cicadas, but what other value do cicadas have to the world? Well,
1: I don't eat them anymore. Okay. Uh, I haven't eaten cicadas since 1987. <laughs> uh, and because of, that's because of what the values cicadas have for yes. me. yes. They got me tenure. <laughs> right. Yeah. So they were career-making for yes. me. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, if, if, if you are so inclined that you want to eat them, you want to go out and collect them while they're teneral, all white, hanging from the shell before they've hardened. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's like eating the tail end of a shrimp. Uh, okay. But that, that part that you hold on to mm-hmm. while you dip it in that mm-hmm. cocktail sauce. Uh, so uh, uh, that that's uh, – that's one of the parts. And you, you, when you do that, you want to make sure you treat, collect you collect females because the females are filled with eggs. That's what the flavor is. The males are molded, the abdomens will see hollow. So there's more nutrition and flavor in the female than there are in the eggs. And I, I'll answer in advance the the next question: What do they taste like? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that to me, they taste like a a not a, a not a name brand, but a, a generic brand of cold canned asparagus. <laughs> okay, uh, because you know they're sucking on tree roots. Uh-huh are going to have a very green flavor, and that, you know. So, if, uh, hopefully, I thought people, I, uh, people are gonna, after hearing that, will be interested, but not necessarily running out to kill every sick kid they can find right. to try eating Right? Them.
0: No, <laughs> better to better to track them. And speaking of tracking them, you and your team have developed a a wonderful app we've my wife and i have installed it cicada safari is the name of it we're going to put links up to where our audience can find the app tell us a little bit about the app because i think that's an important step in this uh and you you referenced 1902 and the gathering and the interest well there's a lot of interest today and the app now allows us to kind of help Mm. at least help you and entomologists with this study
1: and it's uh, not just helping me, they're helping my colleagues all over the country. Where I share the data with everybody. Uh, the, the, my my good friends, uh, Chris Simon and John Cooley up at the University of Connecticut, their part of this. Uh, uh, my friend, uh, Mike Raup at the University of Maryland, he's promoting this as well, as are the Ohio Academy, the Ohio Biological Survey, the Indiana Academy of Science, cicadamania.com. I've got the University of Tennessee promoting this, University of Kentucky promoting this. Uh, the naturalists for the uh, Museum of Natural History in North Carolina are going to be helping. Uh, it's, it's, it's it's really turned into a, a fantastic thing. And I can tell you, you're, you're the first to know this. Our 90,000th download happened this morning. Wow. 90,000. 90, My
0: goodness. We're that adding
1: is a... 3,000 a day right now. We'll probably break 100,000 downloads. I, I'm flabbergasted. Congrats.
0: That's wonderful news. Though. that's great. I think it's great for science, great for your team.
1: Mm-hmm. And, but and to, uh, to answer your question, uh, crowdsourcing with cicadas goes back to the 1840s.
0: Okay. And a, a man
1: from Baltimore. Uh, by the name of Gideon B. Smith uh, used to write little letters to the editor and columns for newspapers. And he'd say, and he'd send them to news, uh, to regional newspapers, or he put them in what would be the national uh, weeklies and they would be reprinted. Uh, he'd say, I expect this cicadas to emerge in your area this spring. I would appreciate it if your readers send me notice. And by the time he died in uh, 1867, uh, he had documented all the known broods, not the full distribution of their, extent, of their full distribution, but document every brood that we had and so it's like i feel part of this legacy and so when i first started tracking cicadas uh, the first time i was just driving around in a car looking to see what i could hear and that eventually evolved into uh, using a uh, answering machine on a, on a cell phone that that broke the first day they came out in big numbers in since then because i've got hundreds of calls coming in that jammed the tape uh, and uh, and that was in 87 2004 emails i was getting an email a minute during the working hour the first day after they emerged uh and then our four-year acceleration of Route Ten that happened in 2017. I asked people to send me photographs from their smartphone, and that's when the light came on. What a tool! Because one of the problems with citizen science is verification. Are we really getting the data we need? Uh, just today, for example, we had a, a click beetle submitted. We had a, we got a lot—not uh, a lot, but a half a dozen or so of June beetles submitted, and that makes sense because they're coming out of the ground. They're brown like the nymph. That, that's and if you're not an entomologist, at least they're participating. So every photograph that comes in is, ver- is uh, examined by human eyes and verified to be a periodical cicada. And once approved, it goes on our map. And even once it's approved, I go through all the declined ones to make sure we didn't miss one. And I go through uh, all the approved ones as best I can to make sure uh, uh, we 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 didn't accept one that's not right. And uh, and so there's, we're trying to maintain that. But the worry this year we're expecting now with 90,000 uh, participants the potential of 70,000 photographs with this year. But it is, a. Uh, we tested it with brood eight and, uh, that's a small brood in Eastern Ohio, Western Pennsylvania, extreme Northern uh, West Virginia, 5,721 verified cicada observations. We last year was the, was the real telling point. Uh, we, te- we got it set up for brood nine with an addition. You can also submit 10 second videos. And with the videos, you've got audio and with the audio. I've got the calls and I can tell the species from the calls and that tell ta- and also tells they're mating there you know that's what's going on. that's part of the whole mating process so that's that's a whole new level so if, if someone uh, has cicadas singing in a tree point your your iPhone at your at your tree and take a 10 second video because that's what we need you we don't we need don't to find the cicada singing just give us the calls and so last year was an interesting year because of covid 19 a lot of us couldn't go out into the field like we like we'd always planned to so we set up the uh, cicada safari was geared up for its second test. And we, uh, uh and, and brood nine occurred in Southern West Virginia, Western, uh, Western Virginia and Northwestern North Carolina. And so we contacted the major, major media outlets and said, you know, we use this app dot, dot, whatever. and the first reports came in from Georgia. They weren't supposed to be in Georgia. Then South Carolina, they weren't supposed to be there. Then Missouri, what was going on here was really weird because in the past, when we had a, a cicada emerge, all of us, my colleagues, and I, we'd all hightail it down to where the, we knew the birds were and we'd map the boundaries and all that other stuff. We never thought about looking 500 miles away. And so all of a sudden we get these reports and once we got a report outside of the known zone, we'd send press releases to the, their media outlets to say, you know, what's really happening here? And what happened was, not only did brood nine emerge in good numbers, like we were, we were expecting, but four other four other broods, Paul, emerged off cycle. We had a 13-year cicada emerge after nine years. We had a 17-year cicada emerge after 13 years. We had several uh, brood ten uh, cicadas emerge a year early. That happened in your area, and then the Washington D.C. area, and Baltimore, here in Cincinnati, also Indianapolis, Louisville, and then we had just a few hundred brood five. Cicadas emerge four years late, and it was amazing. It's like this may have been going. This might may have been going all the time, but we never knew it because there be no publicity in an area where they weren't expected. And so this is opening up a whole new area of uh, of uh, thinking. <laughs> Does this happen a lot? Uh, the key thing, and we've seen this before. We've seen four-year accelerations before. We've seen one-year early accelerations and four-year, but not all in one year. And so that was that was that told us. That the app was providing us some really good information, and we had just shy of eight thousand records for last year. And so uh, the, the, we we did all of that gearing up for the big one, the the big Kahuna, <laughs> the, <laughs> the big Tamale. What do you want to call it? That's yeah. this year. And, uh, uh, where, as I say, uh, uh, the the interest, and in, I'm just tickled at the interest, and I'm, I'm already receiving you know between four and six hundred pictures a day. First of nymphs. Because people are all gardening and they're uncovering the nymphs, and you know I I see garden trowels and hands (laughs) and the the, red-eyed cicada. And uh, uh, just last week we got our first individuals emerging uh, emerging in uh, uh, extreme northern uh, Georgia, which was expected, and then uh, east of Chattanooga. And uh, we've had some emerge now from central uh, North Carolina. Carolina, we weren't expecting those, Uh, and then South Carolina, a few from South Carolina, that was a surprise. Uh, And then of course uh, College Park, Maryland started, we had a, a reports of a few individuals, and now we're getting a lot of, of course, from all these areas, a lot of uh, nymphs. but uh, it was just uh, three nights ago that we had really good numbers in, um, uh, west, uh, in uh, west of Tyson in greater Washington, D.C. But the key, looking ahead, I see 83 degree temperatures tomorrow night uh, in the south. I expect they're going to start popping, in. the mass emergence will start in Georgia tomorrow, so we're sort of, ourselves <laughs> what, what might happen bracing? Well, yes. of course, the app has
0: the uh, GPS functionality and geolocation. So you're able to track that kind of on a very specific basis. So how, how narrowly can you track the emergence? Is it kind of by by square mile is it by kind of almost square block or how how defined if, is that
1: if you want to f- if you are using the app and you want to see where cicadas are you can go all the way down to the street
0: ah okay
1: and even where in the middle of the block it's, it's it depends on the accuracy of the gps uh-huh. but uh, uh for brood five uh brood uh, eight and brood nine that emerged uh, the last two years uh my wife and i went out to the brood areas and we've tested it on a number of sites where we had okay so kids report here are they really there <laughs> and they were and so uh uh when uh, for the last two years uh it, we, we, we we were 100 accuracy on, on the uh and uh, on on the place that's submitted and then we did testing as well we took photographs and saved them and then submitted them later for other locations to see how that would work and as long as that metadata is in your photograph we get the correct metadata.
0: Well, Dr. G. Kritsky, what a pleasure it's been to talk to you. You're just doing some wonderful work, but what a fun conversation. What a fun activity. Just go out and get this app and join in kind of this research with Dr. Kritsky and uh, his team. Thanks for your time. I know you're very busy. We sure appreciate the chance to talk to you, and uh, happy Cicada uh, Safari.
1: <laughs> Thank you. It's been a pleasure.
0: My thanks to Dr. Gene Kritsky for his generous time, work, and energy today. My thanks to Fields for sponsoring today's show. Please support our sponsors. My thanks as well to you, my wonderful Not Old Better Show audience. Please join me next time, but be safe, be healthy. I hope you're listening today as you're waiting in line for the vaccine. And remember, let's talk about better, the Not Old Better Show. Thanks, everybody.